The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. I have a great show for you today. First, I interview Congressman Pete Aguilar, representing California's 31st district in San Bernardino. Next, I interviewed a team behind the hit docuseries, The Desire to Live, about war-torn Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh. I interviewed the writer and director, Maryam Abatisian, who called from Artsakh, and the producer, Pete Pahlawanyan. Here are some headlines from this morning and over the weekend. Ten Republican senators on Sunday announced plans to unveil a roughly $600 billion COVID-19 relief package, a counterproposal to President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion plan meant to force the relief talks with the White House back to the middle. The GOP wants to reduce aid to Americans who most need help by two-thirds. Former President Donald Trump's lies and his insistence that the November election was rigged against him may have turned out to be a bridge too far for the attorneys who were slated to defend him in his upcoming Senate impeachment trial in little more than a week. Two of the leading attorneys tapped to defend Donald Trump in his second impeachment trial abruptly parted ways with the former president on Saturday. A further source said that an additional three lawyers associated with the defense are also off the team. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has issued an order requiring travelers in the United States to wear masks as part of a new initiative aimed at stemming outbreaks of the coronavirus. According to the 11-page order issued on Friday, travelers entering and transiting throughout the country will be required to wear face coverings in all transportation hubs, which the CDC defines as including any airport, bus terminal, marina, seaport, or other port, subway station, terminal, train station, U.S. port of entry, or any other location that provides transportation. Dodger Stadium's mass COVID-19 vaccination site was temporarily shut down Saturday afternoon when about 50 protesters gathered at the entrance, frustrating hundreds of motorists who'd been waiting in line for hours. The demonstrators included members of anti-vaccine and far-right groups. While some carried signs decrying the COVID-19 vaccine and shouting for people not to get the shots, there were no incidents of violence. Confirmed coronavirus cases in California have surpassed 3.2 million. More than 40,000 people, one out of every 1,000 Californians, have died from complications of COVID-19. The Los Angeles County Department of Public Health's official death toll stands at 16,647 after 316 fatalities were confirmed Saturday, along with more than 6,900 new cases. Over two months after Russia brokered a ceasefire of Azerbaijan and Turkey's genocidal attack and ethnic cleansing of Armenians of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, Azerbaijani forces continued to kill Armenian civilians in villages near the border. Azerbaijan's violations of international law include not handing over nearly 100 Armenian prisoners of war. 
Despite overwhelming evidence of ethnic cleansing and crimes against humanity, European leaders have largely stayed silent to appease Azerbaijan and Turkey as they have a stake in Azerbaijan's oil flowing through a pipeline from the Caspian to Europe, and Turkey, a member of NATO, is an important market for European goods. There is hope that President Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken will take the necessary steps to stop the massacres. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Today's Let's Get Blunt will be brief. I just want to point out a couple of things. One is that President Biden's administration is off to a really great start. But what I'm seeing is Republicans being back to their old tricks, something they did with President Obama for eight years, and that's to throw all kinds of wrenches uh, into the immense work that he did cleaning up George W. Bush's mess. And now that President Biden is trying to clean up the catastrophic mess that uh, Trump left, uh, Republicans are back to it again. President Biden proposed a $1.9 trillion plan to help Americans through this extremely difficult time. And the GOP's answer to that is cutting it by two-thirds and making it $600 billion. So they want to go from $1.9 trillion to $600 billion. Now, let's just remind everyone, this is the same party, the Republican Party, that gave the largest tax cuts to the top 1%, to the wealthiest Americans. And yet, when it comes to the average working and struggling Americans, they want to cut from them by two-thirds. And I suspect that this is something that's going to keep going for the next four years, for them to just constantly try to oppose President Biden as they did with President Obama. So let's just keep bringing this up and holding Republicans accountable and be blunt about it. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Congressman Pete Aguilar represents the 31st Congressional District of California. He was most recently re-elected in 2018 and serves on the House Appropriations Committee. In the 116th Congress, Congressman Aguilar holds the leadership positions of Whip of the New Democrat Coalition and Chief Deputy Whip in the House Democratic Caucus. Congressman Aguilar, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me, Vic. Congressman Aguilar, it is a new year. It's a, a new chapter, a new Congress. So far as we are right now and where we are in our nation, uh, what is your general perspective? How would you explain where we are uh, this very day? Well, I think, you know, it, as you mentioned, it's a new day. And I'm just so pleased that we have an adult uh, in the White House, right. uh, someone who can help guide a national strategy to address the pandemic, ensure that we build back our economy. You know, those are the things that uh, are important for Southern California, and those are the things that are important for the country. Absolutely. Well put. Definitely. We have a functioning administration, finally. We deserve it. So what do you think about uh, President Biden's first few days within his um, sort of 100 days, if you will? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, you know, and, and we're still, you know, just, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 days you know, into this year. But President Biden promised bold leadership uh, to meet the moment of the crisis and you know, we've needed that and we've needed a national strategy to, to beat this virus. And, 
you know, in his campaign, he talked about four crises, you know, the, the pandemic and COVID, the economic crisis, uh, the crisis on, on race and the crisis on climate. And so he's, his executive actions have addressed those issues, uh, bold leadership in those categories. And I'm just relieved to see that type of uh, leadership. And I look forward to, to working with them. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely um, come in very um, power in a, in a powerful way. And uh, it's really appreciated. It's, it's going to take some time, but people are starting to have some hope. And that's a very good thing. So you have a new role. You are, you're now the vice chair of the House Democratic Caucus, which makes you the highest ranking Latino in congressional leadership. How does that responsibility feel like? And, and if you can tell listeners who may not be uh, familiar with uh, this role and, and the responsibility that it has, if you can share that with us. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, people obviously know the the speaker and the majority leader and the whip, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, uh, amazing leaders uh, for the Democratic Caucus and for our country. Um, within the House Democratic Caucus, we uh, we have weekly meetings, we, we have conversations and discussions. It's our opportunity to address issues that are important for the American people, and that's as, as our you know, democratic family. And so guiding those discussions is the caucus chairman, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be elected by my peers uh, to serve as, as vice chair. Uh, so we conduct those meetings, but it's all guided on what is our agenda in Congress, uh, how can we agree and move forward to advance relief for the American people at this at this critical time? So uh, that's that's where we are, and, and we've been very clear. We'll work with you know folks uh, on the other side of the aisle, um, you know where we can, but we're not going to be stymied, um, you know, in order to deliver real relief to people. And that's what Southern Californians want. That's what folks in our communities and the Latino community, you know, also want. And and so that's uh, our objective, and that's what we're going to continue to strive to do. I like that, especially the last part when you, you know, basically said that we will have to do what needs to get done for people to get help, regardless of what the other side uh, does. And history has shown us that the other side is not willing to uh, meet anyone across the aisle or give an inch. Um, and I think that was one of the fears that people had that President Biden would try too hard to sort of appeal to everyone and appeal to the right. And I fear that, I don't fear, I actually know that some that are very far right, you'll never reach them. So I'm glad to hear from Democratic leadership that that Democrats are finally saying, you know, enough is enough and we have to get things done and pass uh, some bills that have been sort of hijacked, if you will, by uh, Senator McConnell, those that passed the House. Yeah, the Senate becomes the key here, obviously. I mean, you know, having the House majority, you know, we passed bold, um, you know, legislation uh, last Congress, everything from addressing DACA to equality, uh, Voting Rights Act, you know, all of these issues are so important. And they just and they just sat there, you know, in the Senate, in Mitch McConnell's graveyard. Yeah. And so I, I do agree 
that, um, you know, let's give them a chance. Uh, Let's see if they want to actually govern. Uh, But if history is any guide, just like in 2009, um, uh, you know, Republicans put up obstacles and, and Mitch McConnell said, you know, his number one objective was to make sure that Barack Obama didn't get a second term. Yeah. I mean, that type of attitude is just, you know, that's not what the American public wants. And so, you know, Republicans are in the Senate specifically are going to have a choice. You know, do they want to, you know, meet with us um, and do they want to govern uh, based on the mandate that President Biden has? Or do they want to continue to be obstinate? Um, and if that's their, their goal and their sole objective, then we're going to look at it, uh, and we should look at, at every uh, mechanism possible to, to deliver for the American people. That's right. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Pete Aguilar. Congressman, one of the things that's important to you is, to, is rebuilding a fair economy, an economy that's more fair to everyone, all Americans. Uh, will you sort of elaborate on that, please? Sure. I think, you know, and I'm, I'm a kid who grew up in San Bernardino. My parents are working class and, and, and their parents all grew up uh, here in San Bernardino and, and Colton uh, as well. And, you know, we know what hard work means. You know, our family does it every day. And so making sure that that, that you know, American dream is, is alive and uh, for the next generation is really what economic fairness is about, you know, making sure that our kids don't get them, uh, out of college or out of a vocational school burdened by debt, uh, making sure that we have, you know, clean air and clean water. Um, those are things that are that are important. And, and the root of that is economic fairness. And so ensuring that we have uh, a, a living wage, ensuring that people have access to health care. You know, those are things that, that should be, you know, seemingly, you know, should be basic core elements of, of what our economy should do and, and, and what we should do as Americans. And so, you know, ensuring that we continue to make progress uh, toward that is really what economic fairness, you know, means to me. It means, you know, hard work and determination and that everybody has an opportunity to succeed in our economy. And so that's what I know the president believes and that's what House Democrats overwhelmingly believe and will continue to take actions to raise the wages of workers, protect them, paid family leave, you know, all of these elements uh, are important in order to ensure economic fairness. That's right. Well said. Thank you for that. Um, speaking of, and you mentioned growing up in San Bernardino, um, your Latino, your heritage, um, and not that all immigrants are, um, you know, are uh, Latino. Of course, we have immigrants from all over the world. But what do you think about uh, President Biden's immigration plan? You know, I think overwhelmingly this is, and what makes me feel good is that this is a president who understands we're a nation of immigrants and that everyone deserves a chance to succeed here. And you'll see that reflected in the immigration legislation that is taken up uh, in Congress, whether it's the Dream and Promise Act, H.R. 6, that we passed before to protect DACA and TPS holders, or whether it's, you know, comprehensive immigration reform or 
or, or fixing our broken immigration system. Those are things that are important, and Democrats are united in that desire to uh, finally do right by the millions of people who are seeking a better life here in the United States. Uh, but just like you mentioned, we all have a different story, whether you're a first generation, second generation, third or fourth um, you know, everybody's experience is different, but if we genuinely all believe uh, that uh, in, in fairness and in opportunity, uh, then we need to support an immigration plan uh, that recognizes that. And I'm confident that that's what the president believes and, and that's what we'll continue to work on. Thank you. Well said. So what, what are some of the priorities uh, for Congress in the first hundred days of this new administration? What's sort of on your front burner right now? Well, first of all, Democrats in Congress agree that we need to advance relief for the American people immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't wait. We need to meet this moment. Uh, President Biden's plan lays out the groundwork to make communities like mine have the resources we need to crush this virus and expand access to vaccinations and to build back our economy so it works well for everyone. Here in Southern California, we still have zero capacity uh, in our intensive care units. So obviously COVID and the vaccine is forefront of everybody's mind, um, but uh, also making sure that we address the economy and create jobs. Uh, that means another round of direct payments for Americans, additional help for small businesses, and raising wages of working people. Um, those are our priorities, and I look forward to working with a unified democratic government uh, in order to deliver those results. Absolutely. Makes sense. I want to ask you about uh, HUD's recent decision to allow DACA recipients to qualify for FHA loans. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, this is an issue that had really gone under the radar, um, but the fact that the previous administration wasn't being honest uh, about the policy. And so we worked uh, closely with uh, Congressman Juan Vargas down in San Diego, who's been a leader on this and on financial services, and Senator Bob Menendez in New Jersey uh, to stay engaged and to push for changes. And at the root of what we were asking is that individuals with DACA status should not be excluded uh, from home ownership. Um, through FHA-sponsored uh, home loans. And so we continually pushed Housing and Urban Development Department and, and then-Secretary Ben Carson for answers, and they continued to either you know, lie or mischaracterize the administration's position. And so we added language into the appropriations bill um, uh, and uh, the Trump administration um, you know, still you know, refused to acknowledge uh, the, the importance of this program uh, for DACA recipients. And so it seems that our efforts were noticed by HUD, and on the first day of the Biden administration, uh, they reversed this policy and, and corrected it to ensure that uh, individuals with DACA status uh, could have access to FHA home loans. This is something that's important for so many people in our in our communities uh, who have DACA status, uh, who who uh, have gone through you know every possible step of, of creditworthiness, and um, and they're eligible and they should be homeowners. Um, and and so those are the things that are that are important. And this was just one of those areas. It's a small uh, item that is impactful and meaningful to people in our communities and we were able to help deliver yeah it will take uh, it'll take a while to undo the damage of the trump administration 
President Biden and uh, Congress have a, a tough road ahead. It's going to be a while. Yeah, but we're off to a good start. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Pete Aguilar. It just occurred to me that um, April 24th is coming up, which is the 106th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. And uh, you voted for the Armenian Genocide Resolution Act, which passed the House and the Senate uh, just over a year ago. Uh, something that the Armenian American community had been working towards for a long time. You mentioned uh, Senator Bob Menendez, uh, one of my favorite senators, who really championed it. And with the recent uh, attack on Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, Senator Menendez and Congressman Schiff, Congressman Pallone, uh, Congresswoman Speer, and uh, Napolitano have called the U.S. to recognize the independent Republic of Artsakh. Uh, How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's important to acknowledge uh, the Armenian genocide. That's why I have voted for those resolutions. I want to give uh, Chairman Adam Schiff a lot of credit for educating his colleagues and uh, telling us about the true historical importance uh, of of what's gone on. And I know that uh, President uh, Biden has previously mentioned uh, acknowledging uh, the Armenian genocide, and that's clearly the first step. But there continues to be unrest in the region, and so we need to work with our allies and partners uh, in order to to best address uh, the solution. And uh, I'll work from from my position in the House Appropriations Committee to to work toward uh, peace and stability, and uh, and, and look forward to a friendly administration uh, who will do the same. Yeah, absolutely. But do you think that recognizing Artsakh uh, is something that you would vote for? Well, you know, we need to we need to see. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question. Okay. And you know, what I want to see uh, out of uh, this administration uh, is I want to see their their plan and their focus. I want them to work with Congress as a co-equal branch uh, of government uh, to to seek to address this. And and clearly, there's there's a lot that this administration uh, can do uh, to promote peace and stability. Um, and so I think that's the appropriate place to start. But I don't think we should rule uh, anything out at this point. Okay, great. Um, thank you for that. Congressman, um, before we go, I want to ask you if there are any any topics or issues uh, specific to your district in, in San Bernardino County, which I believe is is the country's largest county that you'd like to yeah. address uh, if you were speaking directly to your constituents. Well, we're blessed here in San Bernardino County, uh, the largest uh, county in the lower 48 states, as you, as you mentioned, uh, deserts and, and mountains to the valleys. Uh, but we have some concerns and some economic uh, uh, concerns as well. Uh, our proximity to the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles and those impacts that come through our region, um, the air quality impacts, the street and road impacts, uh, those are things that need to be mitigated in addition to the, the climate crisis and, and fires and floods uh, and their impact uh, to our communities. Um, but it is, at its core, you know, ensuring access to education and ensuring that fair economy that we talked about is really what's important to San Bernardino County. Excellent. Thank you for that, Congressman. And thank you for your time and your wisdom. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me, Vic. I appreciate it.
All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Congressman Pete Aguilar from 31st District of California, which is part of San Bernardino County, the largest county uh, in terms of geography in the United States. Thank you, Congressman Aguilar, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. The Blunt Post with Vic. Maryam Avedisian is a native of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh. She studied journalism and currently works for Artsakh State TV and collaborates with multiple media outlets in Armenia. Witnessing how Artsakh was ravaged by Azerbaijan and Turkey's aggression, she decided to start a project to document the tragedy of war, capture the first-hand experiences of the native Armenians, and educate the world about what is happening. The result is an extraordinary docuseries called The Desire to Live that she writes, directs, and edits, and is available on YouTube. Pete Bahlawanyan, originally from Montreal, Canada, is the producer of Maryam's docuseries, The Desire to Live. Pete's impressive resume includes writing, directing, and producing films, TV shows, and music videos. Pete is also the owner of Pico Records and the producer of the Armenian Music Awards. Please note that while Maryam speaks English well, at times she speaks Armenian to be more expressive. In those cases, you will hear the voice of her producer, Pete, translating what she says. I personally translated her last answer, and I hope that you enjoy it. Good morning, Maryam and Peter, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you this morning? Good morning, Vic. Uh, um, I'm excellent. I'm in, uh, I'm in L.A., and Miriam's in uh, Artsakh. Welcome, Good morning, Maryam. Vic. Good morning. How is it in Artsakh? And for listeners who may not be familiar, Artsakh is also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, which is the Soviet name given to the region, but historically always been Artsakh. Uh, I am here in Artsakh. I was born in Artsakh and um, I don't see... uh, I was born after the First War and uh, now I... um, and she's basically translating that from Armenian, since uh, Miriam's English is decent, but yet, uh, obviously, she, she's she been born and raised in Artsakh. She was born after the war, the first war, 30 years ago, and she's basically um, grown up in Artsakh uh, and lived through everything that's happened since then. Wow. And that's quite a lot. It's quite a lot to have been there in the last four or five months. So I can't, uh, I can't even imagine uh, how that was like. Uh, you know, I don't think anything that we hear or see does justice to the experience that you've experienced firsthand. And uh, we're going to be talking about Maryam's film called The Desire. It's not a film. It's actually a docu-series called The Desire to Live. Maryam wrote and directed it, and Peter produced it, and it takes place in Artsakh. It's beautiful. So it's very apropos, given what's happening and what's happened since September 27th, when uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey unleashed a genocidal war and ethnic cleansing against Armenians of Artsakh. And some of it, it still continues. Azerbaijan refuses to hand over prisoners of war. So People of Artsakh have gone through extreme trauma, to say the least, uh, since just this past September 27th. And yet, Maryam managed to um, create this beautiful artwork 
this docu-series that uh, is just so raw, it's so um, so real, so beautiful, and um, yeah, I, I, it's just stunning. So, Miriam, I'm going to come back to you and ask you, how did this come about, the idea of doing this docu-series? How did it sort of emerge? Um, when the war started, uh, I was in Yerevan, and there I uh, think, uh, how can I help uh, the people? And um, I decide when uh, the war was end, uh, I... Uh, well, she decided basically uh, when she was in Yerevan that uh, after the war was gonna was stopped or was gonna end, that her um, her specialty, which is journalism, uh, was she was gonna go there, back to Artsakh, and do what she can, which is tell the world what's happened there, and throughout uh, the people that have come back and after the war and how they, they're adapted and how much of an effect that's had on them. Uh, and he, she basically went back to Stepanakert, which is the main city, the, the major city or the capital. Uh, the capital. And basically uh, she started this project. And since then, uh, all she does is go around from town to town to interview people to to refilm them you know and she she does it in a very uh like you said raw natural and honest approach which is just filming them in in their natural habitat and how they've adapted and uh, as you watch the films you get to feel them and you get to know them real well from just her way of telling the story and Mariam has a special, special way of getting to people's uh, hearts by talking to them and having them open up. And this was the magic that I saw in, in some of the early footages that she sent me. Um, and uh, it was one of the things that I felt that she had uh, a real special touch. And the fact that she is from Artsakh, I believe that uh, she, knows, she knows it firsthand. And I think all she's do doing now is is documenting, documenting, documenting. And every week, uh, a new episode comes out with a di with you know different town that's been affected. And uh, she's been doing this now since uh, since the war has stopped. Yeah, I'm glad that you you said the fact that she is from Artsakh. She was born and raised there. Uh, makes this even more special and more authentic rather than sort of an outsider going in and trying to document this. It's the realness of it is really uh, stunning, and it's very intimate, um, the way it's filmed uh, and all of that. I want to actually uh, ask you, Peter, how did you get involved with this? How did you two connect? Um, I, I basically, uh, when the war broke out, I wanted to do something on my own, so I actually had somebody fly in there and start filming um, and interviewing people in Yerevan. But then uh, once the war ended, um, she my, my um, I guess, researcher came back um, and I was still in the middle of this thing where I wanted to be part of it. And then all of a sudden I come across Mariam's footage um, and I was like, odd. <laughs> I was amazed by 
How did you come across the footage? Uh, she had posted something on her YouTube page, just okay. like that. And I, I caught it. I saw it. Uh, I don't know how I came across her page, but I'm always, I'm always researching stuff on Artsakh. I'm always looking through videos and people that are there. And I remember uh, seeing it for the first time. And I was just, uh, I think it was her, her very first episode. Uh, she had done it on her own. And then... I looked at that episode and I was in awe. By the time I contacted her, she had released a second episode. By then, my mind was set. Uh, as Miriam can tell you, I approached her immediately and said, listen, I want to do whatever I can. I said, uh, I don't want to interfere with your creative side of it because I, I feel that it's, it's uh, beautiful and it doesn't need any, any changes. I said, I'm just here to support you and to be, uh, if you're looking for a producer, be part of this project and make this grow and tell more people about what you're doing. And that's basically wow. what I do. I, I, she does all the magic. Everything that you see on that screen, it's all Mariam. She does everything from A to Z. Incredibly, the, she, when she, we talked at the beginning, she said, we're only a two-person crew. It's me and my cinematographer, my mm -hmm. video my video man and i said well i i have to say you're doing magic with just two people yeah. and since then uh how many people are we now Miriam? i think uh, well your sister was also doing the translations right mm -hmm. she was, yes she was doing the subtitles of course canadic she's also amazing uh <laughs> when we first spoke she was also uh, the three of us we spoke over the phone and we did a zoom call and we got to know each other uh and basically, from that moment on, you know, that was it. I never looked back. I just, I was like, whatever, whatever it takes, we're going to make this into the, you know, tell the story to everybody we, I could reach. And me being in L.A., I figured I can help out uh, a certain way that would, that she, she would need this to make it the film to be there for. And uh, so far... It's been great, you know. She she releases an episode every week, every uh, Thursday on YouTube. And, yeah, on YouTube. And right now we have eight episodes. Uh, we're working on turning it into a, a feature, a documentary, so mm -hmm. that uh, I can enter it into Khan this year's competition. Very and nice. and then from that point on, we're still going to continue. We have a project to do this all year. Miriam's going to continue working all year round and she's going to be putting out these uh, beautiful short films, you know, three, four or five of them a month. Uh, and as it continues on to so this, so many stories to tell. Absolutely. And that's what it, what's so really great about it is that it's, it's beautiful. It's entertainment, uh, but it's also chronicling real history happening. It's, uh, documentation in you know double entendre intended it's it's a lot of things it's really it's evidence it's uh, interviewing witnesses to what happened and what continues to happen i want to ask you before i forget so if our listeners want to watch this docuseries the desire to live where on youtube would they go can they just search for it or is there a channel miriam has her own channel um, she started her own channel, Miriam Avedisian, and it's on YouTube. She's got all of her, all of the episodes on the channel, 
So someone wants to find it, they can find it there. If they just type in uh, the desire to live, it's a hashtag as well. It'll probably bring it to her, but if they want to precisely find it. And then we also have it scattered all over social media, you know, different pages like Facebook pages and uh, Twitter pages and pretty much everywhere we can get, get it out for now. And, and you know, these are the first stages still, because obviously social media is a good way of spreading the word. But in reality, uh, it's only the first step of getting to where we want to go, which is uh, having you know major networks or at least uh, stations pick it up and then turn this into a, a serious weekly series. Because the whole idea of, of documenting people's lives and how war of, affects it is something that people don't see until they actually interact with them. You know, if you're not living there, and we live in the West, we don't encounter war. We just hear about it or we just watch it on television. But when you're watching Miriam's documentaries and Miriam's films, you realize that uh, these people, when I say these people, I mean our people, every people, everywhere around the world, their lives are affected to an extreme they're all they want to do is live in peace and basically and you can see that in their eyes and hear it in their voices and it's and it's incredible and it's touching and uh all you want to do is help and do whatever you can Mm -hmm. so at this point miriam's doing i would say god's work and she's doing it at lightning speed i agree and she's doing it at lightning speed Uh, i haven't met a filmmaker like her in a long time that uh, has been able to put together not only the the right message, but also beautifully shot, and the story is beautifully told. You know, if you mm-hmm. notice, it's uh, you watched it. I think uh, you said you watched the all one episode, them. and then you couldn't stop yeah. watching them, and you watched all of them, and you yeah. binge watched all of them. Yeah. yeah, it's that's what everybody does. You know, yeah. it, they get hooked on it. It's almost like a trance. You connect to the to the people there, and it um, transforms you to this beautiful land with the mountains and the snow and the the birds and ice melting, uh, and even the music is so beautifully chosen and edited. Miriam, I want to ask you. So you started this because mm-hmm. you wanted to do something for Artsakh and people of Artsakh to document, to give back. But now that it's sort of taken wings if you will what is your ultimate goal your dream for this project yeah her main her main goal basically is uh, is to tell the world what's going on over there what's going how... on what's going on tell me several days ago when we started as filming a ninth episode uh, in Taravart village is uh, Martin region. As there we uh, saw the uh, man uh, who lost uh, their son, uh, who lost uh, house, and Yevnra Vortin As she's filming in her last episode, she basically encountered a man that had lost her, had lost his son and his home, and and all he wanted, what he's been trying to do is trying to scavenge whatever there's left. And as the interviews going on, the, they start shooting on her. Uh, the the, the Azerbaijani gunshots. 
yes from the Azerbaijani side and basically um, she's you know she's realizing even as an uh, Artsakh person from living from Artsakh because you know depending on where you are there's some villages that are always threatened they're always in position of fear but yet the people there are just living through it and we have to tell that story how these people are just living through this almost terror the right. daily terror and i think this is what it is this this documentary and the series here wants to reveal and show the world that this is not something that just ended you know it continues every day in these people's lives you know yes, the, the in, in the episode 8 the man that's uh, talking about how he's come in his village and he, he and he loves his village and he doesn't want to leave his village but yet 500 meters away is the azeris on top because it's it's a hillside and they they have the hill overlooking them they, he's like they can attack us at any time we're we don't we're defenseless i mean he's saying it in the movie as as if like he's still there though he's still living it every day and the children are still playing outside and they're at the mercy of these azeris yeah, they use all kinds of intimidation tactics uh, constantly. Psychological warfare, uh, yeah. you know, emotional uh, attacks. I mean, it doesn't end. They they continuously just try to torture these people. And all these people, everybody that's there that's living on those lands, all they want to do is just live and live in peace. That every every episode there's a common thread I've noticed people that are talking and being interviewed all they want to do is just live in peace on their land that's their all his, it is historical ancestral land they're, but, they're born there they're born raised there 60 70 80 year old people that are still there they don't want to leave they where are they going to go they, that's where their home is and yeah. if anybody tells them it's not their home then who how is that even possible when they're born and raised in that in those lands and this, this is what Miriam has really done in a magical way, is to capture these, these stories. And she, every episode, continuously manages to capture more stories. It's just yeah. incredible. Every time I, I end up watching some of the segments she sends me, I, I'm amazed because of, of how she does it and how she is able to capture you know, their eyes and and. And their voices and and their love of their land and at the same time you know that they're in terror they're being terrorized on a regular basis yeah and so this is the story i think that i'm trying to help her tell the world uh, and she's she's doing a fantastic job in filming them and editing them and my job is to spread it as far and around the world as i possibly can yeah and hopefully thank some you of for those... having us on your show because this of is course. definitely a good spot here to share with at least in southern california it's my pleasure and hopefully some of those biased journalists uh from new york times and bbc and other media outlets that have written these horrendously biased and slanted propaganda pieces that are pro-azerbaijani really ignoring the facts maybe one of them or a few of them are listening right now. Um, before we go, Mariam, what would be something that you'd like to share with listeners, share with me that I haven't asked you about? I think I can translate this. So what Marianne 
very beautifully and eloquently said was that the one thing she wants to convey and communicate to to people is that when she talks to um, Armenians from Artsakh who've lost everything, lost their home, their possessions, uh, all of it, and she asks them what would they like, what would they desire, they will, they often say that they don't want uh, anything materialistic, they don't want a house, they don't want a car, they don't want clothing, nothing materialistic, they just want peace. And they're willing to rebuild from scratch their home and everything that they've had as long as there's peace. And they're hoping that this peace will be lasting so that they don't have to do this all over again someday. Uh, and I think that's very poignant and beautiful. It's somber, but it's hopeful. So uh, thank you, Maryam, for, uh, for your words, for your art, for, uh, for opening our eyes. We will make sure that uh, people watch The Desire to Live on YouTube and um, hopefully in different ways, however you want it to go, uh, maybe someday a feature film. And uh, Peter, thank you for uh, producing it and being part of this uh, incredible project and for being on the show. Well, thank you for having us, Vic. We really appreciate it. This is our first our first uh, radio show, actually, that we are on. I'm, on and I'm, I'm honored. I'm so happy that it was yours. Me too. Thank you, Vic. Thank you. Thank you, and good luck to you, Maryam, and hope to uh, talk to you maybe in a few months where you are in a different place, and I know it's going to be uh, even bigger and better. Thank you, Vic. Thank you, Vic. Thank right. you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, and thank you for your viewers and listeners. Thank you. That was my interview with the makers of the docuseries, The Desire to Live, uh, writer, director, and editor, Maryam Avedisian, uh, who called in from Artsakh, as well as producer Pete Bahlawanian. You can watch The Desire to Live on YouTube, and I want to thank both of you for being on the show, uh, especially you, Maryam, for calling in from Artsakh. The Blunt Post with Vic. I believe this nation and this government need to change their whole approach to the issue of racial equality equity. Yes, we need criminal justice reform, but that isn't nearly enough. We need to open the promise of America to every American. And that means we need to make the issue of racial equity not just an issue for any one department of government. It has to be the business of the whole of government. I'm not promising we can end it tomorrow, but I promise you, we're going to continue to make progress to eliminate systemic racism, and every branch of the White House and the federal government is going to be part of that effort. This first executive order is a memorandum for the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development to redress our nation's and the federal government's history of discriminatory housing practices and policies. Next executive order is reforming the incarceration system by eliminating the use of privately operated criminal detention facilities. Third executive order is a memorandum for the heads of the executive departments and agencies. Tribal consultation and strengthening nation-to-nation -nation relationships. And the last executive order is condemning and combating racism, xenophobia, and intolerance against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. I think the country's ready, and I know this administration's ready. Thank you. Mr. President, what you talk to Vladimir Putin about? You. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jaramie. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jaramie. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.